Wow, I, I can't believe you found that, Duke. I can't believe it. I was uh, I was surprised to find it here in the library, but I mean, hey, a song that big and that popular, it uh, so it 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 leaks out beyond the borders of genre. <laughs> I'm sure CFCW probably plays that one. On a, Greg Shannon in the morning probably bumps that one as his uh, his intro track. I just saw Jackie Ray walking down the hallways. I just went outside for a quick little stroll. I saw her walking down the hallways. I think she had it on her earbuds going. She was uh, kind of dancing around down the down the hallway here. So. Um, Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. How about this segue from Biggie to Fat Efron here? I don't know if you talked about Dolly, but that outfit was unbelievable. And signing or singing, "We Are the Champions" to all the Dallas fans. Last time they were champions was ninety five. Probably the last time Dolly had a number one hit. Ooh. I I just I thought it was a wonderful halftime show, or you know, three songs or four. Jolene, you come out with Jolene working nine to five, and then you get into the Queen. Yeah, I th- I thought it was well. Done. It was definitely the best of the three oh. halftime show performances yesterday, uh, outside of your personal taste. And I, after yesterday's comments, I was or I, it was on the fan, um, fantasy frenzy. I made them. I mm-hmm. was not aware Jack Harlow was actual rapper. I thought he was a like a DJ. Um, so I got a little bit of flack for that on not only this text line, but my personal text line <laughs> uh, from friends and stuff listening as well. So I uh, learned a little bit there. But yeah, Dolly was great. And man, if you were on Twitter during that uh, halftime show performance, there was a lot of people letting it fly pretty fast and loose with their comments about Dolly wearing that uh, Dallas there Cowboys were, cheerleader I, I, ne- I never got into those, Duke. 77 but- years old and still looking as good as ever. I Goodness gracious. That. I can only tell you that I only had one comment, and that was from the father-in-law, 87 <laughs> years old, and he said, I thought it was just wonderful. <laughs> thought it was great. Uh, text coming in, one 401 Our buddy Herm Hordell, the old goaltender, uh, says, Kevin, a couple of observations regarding the Oilers. The coaches did not understand how to reward their goaltenders. Playoffs last year when Skinner struggled, Campbell played well and did not reward him even when that was the most important time. The team has lost character in the dressing room. You need some tough love and guys that are not producing, uh, then they have to lose their ice time in the NHL. You can't deduct paycheck, which is too bad. From Big Herm. Uh, Ron Chiswick says the Oilers win 5-3 with an empty netter. Send us your text. Give us a call if you like. we got a, a few minutes of uh, open line time here before we hook up with Alain Poupart from uh, alldolphins.com and Sports Illustrated. Talk about the uh, Black Friday game, 1 o'clock kickoff in uh, New York, in Jersey technically, uh, between the Jets and the Miami uh, Dolphins. Uh, okay, this is a tougher one to answer from Adam, and we did um, we've we've broached the subject uh, several times this year, uh, several times today. Uh, so from uh, Adam, good morning, guys. Can you explain what community owned means regarding the Edmonton Elks? Can individuals buy shares? Well, it's a very okay. It's a community owned team. There's a a board of directors that govern that. On the board is a chair. The chair oversees the board. I feel like that when uh, from the movie Casino, when uh, Robert De Niro is explaining how the pit works, you know, the dealer is being watched by the pit boss. The pit boss is being watched by the manager, the 
and the eye in the sky sees them all. Uh, but so the board, the, the, the chair of the board oversees the board. Now the board is supposed to hire the president. Last year, when they hired Victor Kui, basically the chair of the board, and well, this is actually before the, the current board because Tom Richards was not the chair of the board when this happened. It was uh, Ian. And uh, so when that happened, they hired technically Chris Jones first before the president was hired. And the president was hired in Victor Kui, which wasn't, the whole board didn't know about the exact process of the hiring. So it was a mixed up situation. So there always has to be a, a chain of command and things like that. Getting back to your question about how uh, how things work as a shareholder. They have a certain amount of shareholders and it's only $10, I believe, to be a shareholder. Um, and it's not like these shareholders are coming in and there's 5,000, 7,000 of them that are in a meeting. It's a difficult situation. And that's why when we are talking about private ownership, it becomes a little more simpler. Can it be working 100% better than what, a community-owned team is? Well, again, that remains to be seen. Uh, text coming in for the Oilers. Uh, Rick wants to have this trade announced, doesn't he? So he sent it in again. Um, so trade Leon. is a defensive liability. So Leon, Dylan Holloway, and Campbell to Philadelphia for Carter Hart, Farabee, Seeker or Walker, uh, maybe it's both, uh, Sean Couturier, and, and Hathaway. That comes from Rick. Well, Rick, for when you think of that, I can only think of one thing, and that's this. After the car accident, I, I crawled into a ditch. I managed to survive on grubs and puddle water until a <laughs> kindly old gentleman picked me up. Grubs, huh? Gotta admit, I never tasted one of those. Anyway, as I was lying in the puddle, I, I think I may have found a way for us to get Bonds and Griffey, and we wouldn't have to give up that much. Well, don't tell it to me, George. Tell it to the new assistant. Tell it to the new assistant general manager, George. So that's, I think when we get these trades come in like that, uh, appreciate all your texts too. Uh, we're going to play that, I think. And it's there's going to be a lot of them. They keep losing like this. There are going to be trades that come in on our text line like you would not believe. Kevin, something uh, maybe we can, as I said, if this season continues to really go off the rails here, uh, on capfriendly.com, there is a like uh, a trade machine that okay. you can work with. Oh, did and, you punch and, it in? And so, no, oh. I didn't punch this one in, but I'm assuming somebody has, because like you can create these hypothetical trades and then you actually submit them and they get saved. And so other people can go and look at your hypothetical trade and you can like comment on them and I don't know if there's a vote or whatever uh, that might be something worthwhile just to go and look at some of the ludicrous trade proposals that get put through the uh, cap friendly trade machine and it, and it tells you if the salary works out and all that stuff too and gives you the full breakdown in numbers and years left on contracts all that good stuff so uh, I, I'd be curious to see how this one works mm-hmm. out in there um, both numbers wise and uh, what other people might have to say about it on the message board so can you punch that one in and see what happens or is I that will, in uh, I, I, it'll take me a little bit, but I can go in and punch it in and see what we can come up with. <laughs> uh, just regarding private ownership with the Edmonton Elks, Doug says, Kevin, private ownership is another nail in the coffin for the Edmonton Football Club. It's only a matter of time before they fold. Darren says, so private, 
single ownership is better, then please tell me how Cates has made the Oilers franchise better, other than the city and the people carrying a large part of the Arena Dale and Cates with a sweetheart deal. Well, when the EIG owned the Oilers, you saw Cal Nichols and Bruce Saville and maybe a couple other guys a little more in the front line. But with so many owners, it was hard. It was hard for the EIG to um, get anything passed. It was, and that's that's privately owned with a a group of consortium, a group of thirty people and companies. The Edmonton Journal was part of it. Um, that was a tough time to get anything resolved. Can we sign this guy? Well, just a second. GM would have to go to the go to you know to Cal Nichols, and Cal would have to go to the rest of the owners and say, and then they'd say, "Well, I don't know." Da, da, da. It's tough. Um, private ownership from Kootenay Guy Gee Guy would require a new stadium, and that's what we said yesterday. That's what we said at seven fifteen yesterday. If there would be private ownership, a new stadium, a stadium that would be built by the new owner, something in the thirty-five to forty thousand seat capacity, Commonwealth as nice of a stadium it is, but the old girls now coming up to fifty years old, you know, built in seventy-five kind of area, but uh, an ownership, a single owner or ownership group would want a better relationship, deal, than what what is going on right now with the community-owned team with the city and Commonwealth Stadium. The Conroys say, I have to say the Elks board have been a big disappointment for a long time. Dwayne Mandruzic being the number one, so little humanity shown in that decision. Well, we're going to have Dwayne Mandruzic, Sparky Kolchiski, and... Barry Stafford in the studio from 10 to 11, and that is going to be a lot of fun. A little bit of a, oh, man, and the stories that these guys can tell, see what they have to say. Uh, we're going to talk a little NFL when we come back. Elaine Pupar from alldolphins.com and Sports Illustrated will guest with us on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 right after the break as it is kickoff on Black Friday. Dolphins, Jets. So that's coming up right after the break. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Let's talk a little uh, Black Friday NFL now with uh, Alan Pupar from alldolphins.com and Sports uh, Illustrated. Alan, welcome uh, to Sports 1440. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Doing great up here. I hope things are down uh, just groovy with American Thanksgiving and a new kind of a fresh idea for the NFL to have a game on uh, Black Friday between uh, the Miami Dolphins, New York Jets. Today, how's it being, I guess, received? Uh, it's a very good question. I think I think it's going to be receiving Dolphin Man very well if they win and not so well <laughs> if they lose. Um, I, I don't know overall the sense. I, I don't get a sense of folks necessarily – like having a strong opinion one way or the other. I mean, it's like almost like playing on Thanksgiving, but not quite. I, I Not that it means anything. Personally, I really like it because this is a day where most people are off anyway, so why not stick an NFL game there? Yeah, I guess so you can go shopping in the morning. You do the Black Friday stuff, and then you come home, and you've got one more a game to watch at 3 o'clock um, Eastern. Uh, 100% now that uh, Devon Achan is out of the lineup for the Dolphins today? That's what it's looking like. And it was kind of trending that way. And the fact that they elevated 
uh, running back Darren, Darrington Evans from the practice squad on Wednesday kind of gave you a hint uh, that it wasn't going to happen. Uh, they'll let him test it out in pregame warm-ups like before they have to turn in the inactive. But uh, last thing they want to do is have this guy play and then, you know, something worse happens. They want him for the, for the, for the stretch run. Yeah, and even long-term. I mean, he had a couple of big games. How, how magical were those uh, two games that he kind of strung together earlier before he got hurt? Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it's like we watched him in training camp, and it's like, okay, he looks good. I mean, but nothing crazy. And then he gets in the regular season game, and then you see the speed, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> and and that's where there was a little bit of a contrast. Like Tyreek Hill, the second I saw him in person, I, I mean, I said to him, from afar when he was playing for the Chiefs, but the second I saw him with my own eyeballs, not that far from me at, at a Dolphin practice, it was like, holy smokes, this, <laughs> that's different. With A-Chan, we never never really got a chance to see that, partly because of the nature of what happens in running plays during practice, but, but then in the game, it's like, he gets a little crease and, and he's gone. It's a different kind of speed. Alain Poupar, alldolphins.com and Sports Illustrated joins us on Sports 1440. So I guess, Alain, that would mean a little more uh, gravy, a little more feeding uh, Raheem Mostert in the backfield today? Yeah, it would be like a, to to use a food analogy, a good serving of of Raheem Mostert, a little side dish of Jeff Wilson Jr. (laughs) If they need Evans to get some touches as well, maybe a couple of those sprinkled in, but Moster's been the main guy uh, ever since HN went on IR. And Wilson was a surprise, healthy, and active last week, but now Savon Ahmed wound up on injured reserve. So it's Mostert and Wilson. And yeah, it'll be mostly Mostert, but Wilson will get some carries as well. Mm-hmm. You know, as good as this Jets defense is, because that's the only thing that's holding this team together right now, is there a way that they can limit uh, this high-powered Miami offense kind of leading the league in uh, yards per game at 434? Yeah, I would expect it's not going to be like a knife-through-butter type of situation for the Dolphin offense. I expect them to have to fight for those yards, and I think they're going to come tough. But that Jets offense is so inefficient, uh, bad, limited, whatever term you want to use, mm-hmm. that to me priority number one for the Dolphin offense is don't turn the ball over and give the Jets short fields with which to operate and make it a closer game than it should be. Because at some point what happens with the Jets defense, as you mentioned, it is very good. But at some point they have to get back on the field, I mean, time and time and time again because the offense can't sustain any drives. And at some point they wear, they wear down. So my expectation would be it's going to be tight in the first half and the, the Jets defense is going to make it very tough on the Dolphin offense and eventually they'll pull away because the Jets just can't keep up offensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alain Poupard from uh, alldolphins.com uh, and Sports Illustrated. Alain, you know, in the sense of, uh, and you did mention Tyreek Hill, seeing him up front close and personal and it opened your eyes and we've, you know, we've seen him in Kansas City and now we've seen him in Miami this is like, you know, a number one, number two top receiver. Um, just what what's the joy been like to cover a guy like this and watch him on a daily basis to see just how um, impressive that he can be, you know, with this offense that seems to be firing on all cylinders? And, and no, it's completely crazy. It's like and it's nothing I've ever seen before, and I've been covering the NFL on a full-time basis 
for more than 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anybody like him who, like, I, let, let, me, let me do this comparison. His speed on the football field is like Connor McDavid skating on the ice. Yeah. Like I've, I've always said, Connor McDavid's skating speed is the greatest single quality of, of an NFL, of a, of a, excuse me, of a professional athlete mm-hmm. in, in the way it stands out above every other player. I mean, McDavid's a different kind of fast. Tyreek Hill's a different kind of fast. And you see him. And it's not like the opposing defenses don't know it's coming. They know they're going to target him 10 times a game at least. And sometimes they're backtracking at, at the line of scrimmage and mm-hmm. he's still going to run by them. Or you'll see plays where he's running in a straight line and eventually make an outcut 25 yards down the field. And the DB is so scared of his speed that you see him he's still backtracking by the time the cut is made. And he catches a pass and there's nobody within seven yards of him. It's complete. It's Unlike anything I've ever seen. Huh. Are, are you surprised, Alain, that um, the chemistry between Hill and, and Tua have has been, you know, it happened fairly quickly between the two of them. Any surprise there? No. Okay. Um, no, because it's, it's very simple. I don't think Hill necessarily requires a ton from his quarterback other than give me the ball. Cause, and he's going to get open. So... All he needs is a quarterback who's not going to spray the ball all over the place, get him the ball when he's open, and Tua does that very well. So, no, it's a very good combination. Uh, Alan Pupart, alldolphins.com, and uh, Sports Illustrated, our guest on Sports 1440. Has Jalen Waddle, is he 100% healthy? I guess they always say no one's healthy at this time of the year, 100%. But uh, battled a few injuries this season, and to complement what Hill does, uh, you know, and what he can do and what Mostart's been doing, um, what have you seen from uh, from Jalen Waddle this year? Yeah, he's he's not been 100% right pretty much the entire year. And it started in training camp. He, they were having a joint practice with the Falcons, and he fell on the ball and kind of hurt his side. And But the speed's still there. And if called upon, you still he's going to get it done. There was a stretch in the game against the Raiders last Sunday when Hill was out because he had a hand injury he needed to deal with. And Waddle caught three passes very quickly on that drive that went for a touchdown. The thing is, mm-hmm. there there is a massive focus on getting Hill the ball, which and then nobody can blame the Dolphins for doing that. But the, and, and it's been even more pronounced this year than it was last year, and some of it has come at the cost of Waddle getting targets. Where if they wanted to, to, excuse me, to feature Waddle in the passing game, I mean, he'd get 1,300 yards easily, but he's taken a backseat to Hill mm-hmm. this year more than he did last year, and then you combine that with the fact that he's been nicked up a little bit, then you have the reason for his numbers not being quite as good. Alan Pupar, alldolphins.com and Sports Illustrated, joins us on Sports 1440. Uh, this could be a heyday for corners like Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard today with the Jets starting quarterback, Tim Boyle. What do you make of uh, a couple of ball hawks in the secondary kind of just getting ready to lick their chops today? Yeah, I think they would be. My only concern is I'm not sure they're going to get many opportunities because I'm not convinced that, that Boyle... Offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett or head coach Robert Sala um, are going to be, you know, real real quick to throw the ball down the field. I would expect a lot of short passing mm-hmm. from the Jets' offense to make it as easy as possible on Boyle. Now the Jets have some good wide receiver. Garrett Wilson's a very yeah. good wide receiver, 
problem is that their offensive line's an absolute mess because of injury and the lack of high-end talent. Uh, and then the quarterbacking has not been very good. So they haven't done a whole lot like in the deep passing game and going up against Jalen Ramsey. And even now, and after what we saw from Jalen Ramsey last week, if he doesn't get targeted, the ball thrown in his area for the next three weeks, it wouldn't shock me. <laughs> Uh, Alan Pupar from uh, com, Sports Illustrated, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, how do you, I mean, Brees Hall's having a pretty decent year again, running back for the Jets. You did mention uh, the fact about the uh, the O-line and things like that. How, how does that stack up defensively uh, for Miami trying to stop the Jets' run game today? Yeah, I think I'd have been a lot more worried about that matchup last year. And the Dolphins right now are stopping the run very, very well. Josh Jacobs of the Raiders had been coming off, was coming off two pretty solid performances when the Raiders came to Hard Rock Stadium last Sunday and the Dolphins completely made him disappear. I think he he may have, I don't know if he reached 40 yards. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. They completely shut him down. And Bryce Hall's a very, very good running back, but I, I, I have a hard time and maybe it's uh, I don't know, uh, a case of homerism or what? I've had a very, very hard time seeing the Jets doing anything offensively against the Dolphins, whether it be Bryce Hall, whether it be Tim Boyle having success in the passing game. To me, the only the only scenario I see where the Dolphins lose this game would be, again, if they turn the ball over and make it easy on the Jets. Yeah, I, again, I can't see it at all happening. So when you look at how the AFC East is shaping up, uh, Dolphins come in 7-3, and three, uh, Jets are 4-6, and six, but uh, Bill's... Would you say they've struggled this year to a 6-5 and five record? Because a lot of people just thought this was going to be a two-horse race anyway. Uh, how do you kind of see AFC East shaping up down the stretch here, Alan? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to start off by, by by admitting that I actually thought it was going to be a three-team race okay. because I was of the opinion that Aaron Rodgers would last. Well, yeah, I thought he'd last more than, than four plays for one thing. And even though I didn't didn't necessarily love the Jets' offensive line. I thought it would be good enough, and with their defense, I thought the Jets would be would be a playoff team. That's obviously not happened. The Bills, yeah, they they just not look right, and it started going south for them a little bit. Ironically enough, after they spanked the Dolphins in Week Four in Buffalo, beat them by twenty, sorry by twenty eight, and then. But late in that game, they lost Trey Davis, wide starting cornerback. The next week they play in London, they lose two more defensive starters, including probably the heart and soul of that defense, Matt Milano. Then the offense doesn't look right. Is Josh Allen trying to do too much sometimes? Is he not running enough other times? And they just felt completely discombobulated. Now they got back on track with the big win against the Jets last week, 32-6. to mm-hmm. But the question now is, are the Bills like back to being the Bills we thought they were going to be, or did they take advantage of a downtrodden Jets team? That's mm-hmm. a big question. The Bills play at Philadelphia on Sunday. If they come, they, and that to me, that's going to be a, a major telling game. Yeah. Because if the Bills win at Philadelphia, that tells me they're back, and it's going to be it could come down to the wire. If the Bills go back to, you know, getting handled. Uh, by the Eagles, then I think the Dolphins have the possibility of just sailing to their first AFC title, which would be for, would be the first one since 2008. Been a while. <laughs> uh, one last one for you, Alan Pupar from AllDolphins.com and Sports Illustrated. Do you think this comes down uh, the AFC East to the last game of the season? The Bills and, and, and Miami play the last game of the regular season. 
if you had to make me guess right now, I would say no. I think okay. the Dolphins will have a clinch before then because the Bills' next three games are Philadelphia, Kansas City, Dallas. The yep. Dolphins' next four games are Jets, Washington, Tennessee, and Jets again. Fair. Very so fair. I think, I think they have, they have the, the very strong possibility and the ability to, you know, to create some separation that the Bills wouldn't be able to overcome. Well, you know, Alan, you mentioned Connor McDavid and our hockey team here. How much do you know a lot about our football team here? Uh, little, little bit, maybe. Yeah, but I don't know, you know, no, no, I don't know if I should say that out loud. But actually, I was born and raised in Montreal, okay. and don't ask well, me why. But my favorite team growing up was the Eskimos. Well, your favorite team was uh, growing up was the Eskimos. Well, it's funny that you should say that because at ten o'clock we're going to have uh, three guests in our studio. One of them is the uh, former equipment manager of the Eskimos, Dwayne Mandrusic. He just entered the studio. He has eleven Grey Cup rings. So, how does that sound? Nice and. I actually probably one of the coldest days of my life was the I don't know if he was if he was there back then was the 1977 Grey Cup at Olympic Stadium. Well, he was there where the Eskimos the Eskimos got completely spanked by the Alouettes. Yeah, 1977. That was the yeah. uh, the uh, staple game, I believe. And Dwayne is nodding his head. And you were there at that game. You talking about yeah 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 I was, Al- there. I was there with, with my father and we oh. everything. Yeah, I, uh, that's unbelievable that you'd be there, and Dwayne's here today. So um, we're going to have a good conversation with Dwayne and a couple of other, uh, uh, with the Oilers, uh, Barry Stafford and uh, and Sparky Kolchinski. So we're going to be talking some old stories here. And you just mentioned one of them, the Staple game in 1977. Wow. And you were there, Alan. That's great. I was there, and I was freezing. <laughs> you were freezing. And, I, and I, actually, I actually was at Olympic Stadium inwardly rooting for the Eskimos in a game that, was completely lopsided the other uh, way. How, why, why were you an Eskimos fan growing up in Montreal? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was... Was it, was it Tom Wilkinson, the quarterback? Yeah. Bruce Lemmerman, who I liked? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there was their, their uniforms. I have no idea. Yeah, Bruce Lemmerman was there, and then Wilkie took over from him in, in that time, so... Wow. Hey, that was great uh, talking about a little CFL with an, with a big NFL guy. Thanks for your time today, Alan, and uh, enjoy the game today. Sounds good, Kevin. Thanks. All right, that's uh, Alan Pupar, alldolphins.com and Sports Illustrated. As mentioned, Dwayne Mandruziak's in the stadium, in the studio and the stadium. He's everywhere. He's 20 minutes early. I can't believe it. He's looking sharp. Now, if we can just count on Sparky and Barry, we're going to be just fine, right, Duke? Uh, when we come back, we've got some open line time. Also, if you think you have a question for Dwayne, Sparky, Barry, send it our way, one 401 Look at this. It's I can't believe. I thought the, the, the hardest part about today was going to get these three guys at 10 o'clock in the studio, and they're all early. This is unreal. So uh, when we come back, little open line time. We'll uh, uh, some text. We'll get to one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Stay with us. It's a Kevin Carey show on Sports fourteen forty. We're back right after the break. Ah, oh, what would Playlist Friday be without uh, your buddy boy George Duke? The young boy George bringing it on a Friday morning, as two, always. Yeah, two things happen. You can count on two things: boy George on a Friday and BA every seven forty break. Just standard. With some minor exceptions. But yeah. we never had it? Oh. Well, no, we did today, but yeah. there's there's the odd time where oh. maybe we have a, a guest in the seven forty break and uh, if nah. there's something that fits them a little bit better or they have a personal request. This is our fifty eighth show. I We've always, had fifty seven out of fifty eight. I always accommodate <laughs> to our uh, our guests preferences. 
Um, tons of texts coming in. And again, we'll have uh, at the top of the hour, really looking forward to this. We'll have uh, Dwayne Mandruzic, Sparky Kolchitsky, and Barry Stafford, three long, long time uh, equipment managers uh, with the Edmonton Eskimos and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, speaking of the Oilers in action this afternoon in Washington, it's a one o'clock puck drop. Oilers come in 5 12 in one and. Just in quicksand, in quicksand. Washington on a roll right now. Five wins in a row, eight, one, and one in their last 10. The Oilers are right now 10 points out of a playoff spot. And again, we've talked about this all week. It, this is the least thing that you can do is talk about a goal setting like this, that you are 10 points out of a playoff spot. Your first goal right now is to string together some shifts, play a great first period, play it like it's your last game of the year. Then maybe the second period works out like that. And now it's the third period. Now you've played a 60-minute game. After that, you string a few of those games together. That's your goal. Then your goal is let's catch Minnesota. You're three points back in Minnesota, and then we'll worry about everything else after that. Um Yesterday, the Oilers practiced in Washington, the nation's capital in the United States. And uh, after practice, uh, Oilers defenseman Matthias Ekholm uh, had these comments following practice. Chris Knobloch, early on in practice, stopped practice and made sure that all the players were on the same page and paying attention to detail. What kind of a tone, Matthias, do you think that sets for the group? Well, that's what we need right now, for sure. Um, we can't. Usually that's what it is. When you win and, and things are going, it's just you just keep them going. But when you lose, you have to you have to find a stop, right? So um, that starts in practice, starts with the details and uh, getting everybody on the same page, for sure. And, and, and today was uh, one step towards that. And, and I think the management and the coaching staff are aware of that as well. So it's, it's good to see. At the risk of sounding like a dumb question, you mentioned playing better defense. What exactly does it take to play better defense as a collective yeah i mean it was yeah kind of that what, what i was touching on there with with last game sometimes it's not about what you get it's about what you leave for for the other team and and the momentum game is something we got to feel out better knowing when to make a play when it's time to just get it deep and and go to work so um from that perspective i think it's 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 not on the goal it's, it's not just on the d it's not just on the forwards it's collectively we have to be better at that that and, and, and knowing what, where we're at in our shift, what, uh, are we in the first five minutes of the game? Do we maybe we should just get it deep to, to, to get going and, and then we can start making plays? So um, I think it's a, it's a whole team thing and, and it's something we all have to do a better job of. You're going through a little bit of a tough stretch like this, Matias. How much onus do you put on yourself as a leader in this group to maybe pipe up when you need to during the game or during intermissions? Yeah, it's. I care a lot, and I try to talk as much as I can without trying to be too too much and, and talk all the time. But um, I'm trying to do my best. Um, honestly, it's 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 when you lose that you really get to, to learn about yourself and your teammates, what you're really made of. And uh, we're going through that right now, and and, and we're trying to trying to get out of it and, and do it in the best way possible. But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to talk as much as I can and, and much that I think is healthy for the group because sometimes it's just nagging isn't good either. So um, at that at that point, I, I I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I, I'm try, at least I'm trying and, and, and uh, right, right in the ship in the right direction because we've got a lot of hockey left. So we just need to we just need to flip the script a little bit and, and, and get a W and, and get going from there. And just to follow up on that, what have you learned about this group? 
Uh, a lot. Obviously, last year when I got here, we, we were on a roll and we barely couldn't lose a game. So to see us from, from on this side of things, it's it's different and, and it's probably where you learn the most. So um, I know we're a resilient group. I know guys care in here almost to the point where they care too much and it gets... Uh, to a nervous thing or, or a pressure thing so that's something we're working on to, to be able to perform under pressure and to be able to perform in a situation like this is something that's hard but it's something that we're working on That's Oilers defenseman Matthias Ekholm following practice thanks to Tony Brar from uh, Oilers Plus for doing that interview for us and uh, text coming in one 401 1440s This comes from Louis and it's kind of a Weird, interesting take. Uh, love the show, says Louis. Hey, guys, if a team takes a late penalty, for example, like Carolina did um, in the last game, the game ended with 40 seconds left on the power play. They should play the game for at least an extra 40 seconds to give the team a chance to score. Uh, thanks, love the show, and that's Louis. You know, there was talk about uh, the fact of you take a two-minute penalty and you score you should remain on the power play. That was discussed for many, many years, and it's not an outlandish take because at the time when it was, I guess, bandied about, people were saying, you know, we need more offense. We want more offense, and this is just another, um, you know, example. I appreciate your text, Louis. Obviously, this would never happen. Clock runs to zero, game's over. That's the way she goes. But, you know, the two-minute penalty thing, Definitely warrants uh, conversation. It has been talked about for a long time, and uh, you never know. Um, DC sends this in. Thank you guys for admitting that we need a new stadium. Uh, We're talking about a football stadium. Uh, Build it at 40K so the fans can basically be right on top of the field. Uh, Gord says, single owner for the Elks in a new stadium? Not likely. Kyle comes in. Hey, uh, Kevin, Kyle here. Can someone please tell me why Nuge is never discussed in trade talk? Without moving Leon or Connor, he is the biggest trade chip. I know he's a fan favorite, but it's time to move on, and he should bring back a decent return. Can't argue with your text, Kyle. Uh, Again, a no movement, uh, no trade clause for for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. His deal is really team-friendly when you look at it, but... It was team-friendly last year. This year, it's not team-friendly because he's not performing to the expectations that he has set for himself or the team has set. So he is just one of, well, let's call it 10. One of 10 problems that the Oilers have to find a solution. And we've we've been beating this to death from last, whatever, last couple of weeks to yesterday. Just the fact that if you look at Connor McDavid, you look at Leon Dreisaitl, look at Evan Bouchard, look at uh, Nuge, uh, look at the power play, look at the penalty kill, look at uh, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, the power play was at a one for three clip last year. This year it's... Well, right now the Oilers' power play is ranked twenty at twenty one point nine. It's ranked eleventh in the league. So you know what? I was going through stats yesterday, Duke. The the craziest stat of all: Washington's power play this year six point nine percent. That's what the power play in Washington is operating at last in the NHL. I was shocked at that. Yeah, that's not very good, uh, obviously, and it it comes as more of a surprise when you look at the weapons that Washington still possesses. First and foremost, uh, Alex Ovechkin, a guy we've talked about on the program a lot today as he chased down the goals record, and he's been uh, a staple over there on the top of the dot um, with one-timers. But we talked about it with you know Backstrom, older and on the way out. 
Um, they, they John Carlson's still on the back end, but like Kuznetsov, kind of always on on people's minds as a trade chip. Like, does he have a long term future in Washington? They're kind of a team in in not disarray and not really transition, but um, they don't really know what they are right now outside of. Alex mm-hmm. Ovechkin because the whole team the whole franchise is still behind him chasing the the goals down just like Alexa Alanis I mentioned we had her on earlier but outside of that like what is this team yeah uh, text coming in one 401 Brad says why the hell would we build a new stadium when the CFL is dying we also just did a huge expansion with a practice uh, facility Fair points about where the state of the CFL is, although if you listen to some people, they say the CFL is in a very good spot right now. Um, The reason why we're addressing a new stadium is because if there would be a single owner that comes on, the single owner, unless things change dramatically with what with how the current team deals with the city and Commonwealth Stadium, unless that changes dramatically, there's no way a single owner would want to come in here and go, this is a good thing for me. I'm really looking forward to this. I can't wait to deal with this and that and that on a daily basis with the city on an antiquated stadium. So that's the answer to that. Uh, 9.51 coming up uh, at the top of the hour again. Sparky Kolchiski, Barry Stafford, Dwayne Mandruzek. Dwayne is in the studio Barry made it into the studio, went for coffee. If you've ever been in the Stingray Studios, it's a labyrinth. It is a labyrinth of passages. So we sent him to the coffee machine. I haven't seen him in 15 minutes. Do you think he's lost? Yeah. <laughs> He'll never be never be seen again. Connor Halley still gets lost, and we've been here for almost three months now. He still How do you gets- get lost? You know where the bathroom is. You know where the coffee machine is. But it's the odd time that Connor has to go somewhere else. Like, um... When Speck was on the road earlier this week, last week, I can't remember exactly when it was, um, they had to pre-tape his, uh, his hit with Gregor that he okay. does in the afternoon. And so we are we kind of have our production studio that we were afforded the opportunity to use for mm-hmm. that. Uh, and then Connor was like, I can't remember what room it was. We wandered <laughs> around. And he's like, this looks right. And then we yeah. just went in and used it. <laughs> it is tough around here. Um, a whole bunch of texts that came in a while back that I, I never really kind of got to uh let's see uh i think uh west end Juan. this is one we were talking about leon dreisaitl and the possibility with uh eddie Steele about uh, how the oilers handle leon and connor moving forward west end Juan says who cares if these two get their points they will probably still end up minus players oilers will lose today two big boys combined minus 14 last three games uh the other thing on that whenever everyone looks at minuses the the one fact about being a minus player that you really have to take into consideration is i would bet okay they're minus 14 in the last three games minus six of that uh would be empty net goals so they would have been in the ice for three empty net goals apiece the minus slash the dash on empty net goals kills a lot of guys, especially a team like the Oilers who have been playing from behind and having to try to get back and try to get back in the game and score that tying goal late in the game. Uh, West End Juan says, uh, hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. All right, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to try to find Barry. Here's Sparky. 
just see him now man we've got we're gone three for three it's a minor miracle when we come back uh sparky kolchiski barry stafford Dwayne mandruziak in studio on the kevin carey show uh before that time now for a sports 1440 update brought to you by michener allen auctioneering the next public timed automotive rv auction is now on view on site then bid online at info at maauctions.com here is the duke